Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. And once again, I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is a very unique podcast where you as the listener are sitting in on a private mastermind conversation, taking notes with your pad of paper and two pens to capture those aha moments that may naturally arise as your curiosity drives you to want to listen more and discover more. We also want you to know that not only am I the host, but I'm with you in the audience. So if you want to take the view of watching an expert on stage sharing brilliance and passion, I'm sitting there with you and we are together discovering more. Today, we're going to get into the nitty gritty details of running a startup and raising capital. In my consulting business, the Business Creators Institute, part of the work we do is moving businesses from startup to revenue. That's one of our sweet spots. Raising capital is a very popular topic with our listeners. And those of you who tune in every week have seen over the course of the past six months, we've had three or four really great folks who have shared with us on that topic. It's very hot. I'm working on it in my own business. So I'm right there with you. We have somebody who we've actually been trying to get on the show for a while, and we've been able to get him to sit down with us. So this is really a special treat for you all. His name is Igor Fedenkoff, and he is the founder our co-founder of Bribe, B-R-Y-B-E, Incorporated. Now, tell you a little bit about Igor. He's a serial entrepreneur with a decade-long history of creating successful startups in the healthcare and hospitality verticals, improving brand image and revenue, in some cases up to 10x or more. He holds an MBA just like me. He's a business instructor and trainer like me, marketing specialist like me, public speaker like me, and an investor, well, that'll be me soon. Igor loves to share details of running a startup and raising capital. And by sharing his mistakes and challenges, Igor can help other entrepreneurs to avoid some of the underwater rocks on their own journeys. And candidly, I think that's part of what we all do as entrepreneurs. We actually learn to love our mistakes. We love to tell others about them. It's our way of paying it forward so that we can blaze the trail for others and help them know what they didn't know and have the questions to ask that they didn't even know they were supposed to be asking. And if we can get a little bit of that to happen today, we're all going to have an amazing time. So Igor Fedenkoff, come on in. The weather's fine. Amir, thank you for having me so much, Adam. And thank you for such an energetic welcome. We're going to have a lot of energy here. Before we get into some of the questions I want to run by you here. We had a nice little chat in the green room before we went live. I want what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is I read off your official bio like I just did. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. But what we like to do is just ask you a little bit about Igor as an individual. and Tell us about what has driven you to 
moved to where you are now, serving business creators like yourself from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. A bit about your personal journey, what inspires you, and what's brought you here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm 44 years old, so I'm pretty much far above the, you know, 30 under 30 mark. So yep. those of you guys who are starting it late, there's no shame in that. Um, but 20 years ago, I came to the United States as an exchange student, um, did a lot of schooling, um, finished my BS, then got my MBA, worked a lot. And then very quickly um, developed a problem with authority in a way. Um, <laughs> I, I was working for a, a large insurance, one of the largest insurance companies, and they were going public that year. I was a part of the team that was actually taking them public. So that was extremely phenomenally awesome and interesting. I was fresh out of school. I was green. I knew absolutely nothing except all the book concepts. And then I very quickly realized that the stuff in real world works completely differently. And um, being a part of it is a huge educational experience. But at the same time, kind of didn't care much for being um, a tiny little score in a large machine. Because when my contract for that particular project ran out. Um, there was no reallocation within the company. I found myself looking for a job. So um, in a way that was a rude awakening, especially for you know foreign national, foreign country, uh, do I stay, do I go? Um, I was fortunate enough to actually pick up a gig at an investment company as an intern while I was bartending at night. And uh, well, the rest of it is kind of history, but it led me to first having my own financial practice uh, for many years. And then uh, when 2007, 2008 came around, you guys all remember that time. Yeah. Um, my uh, client's portfolios did not get hit very hard, but my health did. So there was in a way a prudent decision to step out of the managing somebody else's money. Um, met the love of my life at that time. We had our first baby on the way. So had to recall what I can do in a spare time when I didn't have to help with everything else and um, ended up getting back into hospitality uh, after one year of just purely bartending because it was, um, it gave me a lot of extra time to think and work on the other things. Um, I met an owner of a digital vineyard, um, got an invitation for him to actually open up a physical location for them. From that, uh, stepped up to adding up my own catering company because we needed food. Um, after that, found a different location in Los Angeles, ended up purchasing it for a club location, started running my own club. Um, things were going well. My business partner was an amazing chef, so we opened a second restaurant in Encino, uh, also part of Los Angeles. So um, just as we were hitting a hump, actually, you know, a curve. Um, we ended up uh, raising, it was my first raise from a private group of people for the second restaurant. And as soon as we paid them off, there was an issue with the landlord and, you know, history of a regular hospitality business, but ended up stopping that and selling both places. Um, Remarkably, at that time, I received a text message from a friend of mine looking for a marketing profession. Yeah. Um, six months into working with him for his company, we came up with the idea of Bribe, branched off, and uh, now for the past two years, this has been a, quite an amazing ride. 
um, full of very, very cool things, uh, cool successes, cool failures. But as uh, Mr. Sir Winston Churchill once said, you know, failures don't make you, success doesn't make you, it's, you gotta keep going forward. So this is what we do that brings us up today. And now I'm on this amazing show with Adam. Winston Churchill said another thing that I really love is if you're going through hell, keep going. And he also had a phrase that, and I find this to be inspirational as an entrepreneur as well. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm not going to get the words exactly right. Although I do quote this verbatim in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. Uh, The gist of it is, is he's not really concerned about how he's going to be viewed by history in light of his, whatever his actions were at the time, because he proposed that he himself would be the one writing the history. Smart man. Yeah. So think about that in terms of what you can do as an entrepreneur, as a startup, and what you do when you bring your brilliance and your passion to the world, that you actually get to create your own narrative. You get to do the casting, the scripting, the lighting, and create the experience for your audience that you want them to see. You mentioned in your story that you went into the corporate world and you found yourself having what you described, I believe, as a problem with authority. And uh, I certainly had that as well. There was a phase in Business Creators Radio Show, and this uh, is kind of tapered off recently, but I went through an angry phase when I was going through my uh, recent nice. journey of self-discovery, trying to figure out what I really wanted to be when I grew up. And I have listeners who would tune in every week just to count the number of F-bombs I dropped and whether I actually yelled into the microphone because I would get that fired up over over stuff. It became almost a meme there for a while. I'm sad to say that folks have been asking me what happened to that because it hasn't really exhibited itself lately. And retrospectively, I realized that going through that was actually part of the journey to bringing me where I was now. There was an energy, there was a buildup or whatever it was that needed to come out. And by doing that, I felt, and I feel now, that there are a lot of entrepreneurs that go through that, where they had a corporate experience or just how they were raised or what they were told they were supposed to do in school or what have you. They had that sense of being browbeaten or even bullied by authority to fit into a box that they themselves did not draw, that led to resentment, a sense of feeling constricted, a sense of not really getting to be the best of what they are. That can be frustrating and be irritating. It can be enraging. As a podcast host, I say that I am my audience's voice. So I have no problem saying things about my past that may not put me in the best light, telling people about my, well, candidly, my fuck-ups. And, uh, okay, there there you go. For those who are Boom. tuning in, there it is. You got one. <laughs> Chalk it up. Probably the only one today, as I said. This is the new mellow Adam. Uh, and because we've all been there, and if I can say it, then it allows others to go through the experience themselves without them having to say it and getting to still have the same transformation while not necessarily having to put themselves down those avenues. As trailblazers, this is what we do. We help people sidestep the landmines, get around the potholes. We even fill them in for them so that they can make their own discoveries along the way. Now, real quick, 
I looked into your company, Bribe Incorporated. That's bribe, B-R-Y-B-E.com. There's your website mm-hmm. plug, by the way. And, uh, and, I, and you do some interesting work where you help people hire freelancers and influencers for their projects, uh, and you create the connections between buyers, freelancers, and influencers. So just out of curiosity, why did, where did you come up with the word bribe? And, the, and does that have a negative connotation, even though you changed the, the I to a Y? Um, it does. And we actually get uh, one in a thousand comment that points that out. But bribe.com with an I actually was taken and they didn't yeah. want to sell it. So we ended up misspelling it, just like many other things in the US market in the past decade. But um, the general thing about it, think back to Virgin. Uh-huh. That was that was quite a name, uh, still is actually, but we um, basically thought of our concept as someone bribing somebody to do something really good because the the actual nature of a bribe in a negative sense is you know to get a shortcut to get something done really quickly. So we bring in a positive connotation to this because on bribe people are able to get stuff done quicker. And why it was important back in um, when I was working with my friend and his marketing campaigns, we were looking for influencers. So we couldn't find any uh, the normal way. Then we turned to different platforms and very quickly realized that a lot of them are just glorified search engines, beautifully built by engineers. Um, him and I are both marketers. We, we both like to talk, to shake hands, to reach out. And those practically impossible. So I actually had to turn back to my club days and uh, get some of the celebrity personalities to work on that particular project. But you use what you have. And at that particular time, we were thinking of a name for this pet project, which eventually became, you know, a much larger project as of today. And we thought of Bright because it rubs people the right way, rubs people the wrong way. It brings out a reaction or at least a question or you have somebody who says bribe for some reason but you know that starts the conversation so it's a great conversation starter well yeah i've also shared and i say this on stages and on virtual events all the time that the last thing you need or want in your business is to have traffic to your website in fact if you have it get rid of it people look at me like i have three heads now (laughs) what i mean by that is what is traffic? Traffic is why I work from a home office, and I'll allow the audience to fill in those gaps. I've explained it. You can buy my book, and you can read all about it, but this is really about you, Igor. Uh, and what is a website? Is that a podcast site? Is that a sales letter? Is that a webinar registration page? Is that your homepage, your about page, your products page, your terms and disclaimers, privacy, and uh, whatever the third one is that uh, takes it all away? All those things can be websites, and all of those things can be in one website. So already we have a definition issue. What I urge people to do instead of getting traffic to their website is to attract visitors to their web pages who comply with the three Ps of website conversions, pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. So long Mm -hmm. story short is everybody's talking about traffic to your website, traffic to your website, traffic to your website. And if I Start telling people, my primary business is the podcast reach system. If I say, get more traffic to your podcast website, oh, God, another one. But if I say, attract more visitors 
to your podcast web pages, your podcast episode posts that has a different connotation. So I'm just simply taking something that everybody else is doing, renaming it, adding a theme to it that adds value and setting myself aside. So when you have a company called Bribe and you change the I to a Y, that's kind of what you're doing is, I mean, I've interviewed other people on this show who do things not dissimilar to what you do. I mean, you have a different angle on it because you get into influencers and TikTok creators and bloggers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's not, candidly, and I, and I mean this with love, there's not a whole lot new under the sun with what you're doing. I know several people who do this type of stuff. But what makes you special and you unique is how you describe it, how you position the value for your audience, and most importantly, you personally, because they can't get Igor Fedenkoff anywhere else. <laughs> I, I appreciate the kind words, but no, absolutely. And the biggest thing that I think is I wouldn't be an entrepreneur if I didn't have somebody to compete with. Of course. Um, being, being alone and being the best, cool. But actually, even in our space, but in any tech space or any other space right now, there are people coming up with either amazing ideas or amazing executions. I would like to think of us as uh, observers, learners, and very decent executors of what we do and what we've seen in the market. Because on what we particularly do, there are many people that are in the space right now, but the laws are still not set. Practices are not set. Um, Government is just starting to get in. And large players are also just beginning to trickle in. So this is fresh, which is why we look at ourselves as not as somebody who invented a car, but as somebody who just managed to build a really, really cool one. Right, right. So we, uh, you know, Really, what we want to speak about is you know, running a startup and raising capital. So I'm going to ask sort of an open-ended question by painting very briefly a picture. I've been involved in several startups, and one of which, and actually a theme that recurs, is they seem to be in startup forever. So they have meeting after meeting after meeting, and they don't even take, in my view, actions that they really should be taking. I was involved in one startup where they kept going on for a year about why they were not even ready to at least put up a web page that invited the audience to download something so they could start building a community. I mean, you, you'd think if you're going to eventually wow. launch a startup into revenue, you'd want to have some people buzzing around it to be there for your launch to have somebody to pre-launch too, but it just got stuck in committee that they couldn't even agree to put up a freaking landing page to download a three-page PDF and put five emails behind it and invite people to, to a business page to follow what they were doing. Uh, so my question to you is, I've also seen a lot of startups that never actually started up. They, they died of meetings, basically. So when you see a startup that has been starting up forever, but has never actually started up, what do you have to say about that? And what would you do? 
Uh, figuratively, not realistically, but fire everybody. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that we did, and my team hated me, because again, I'm a marketer. I'm not an engineer. I had ideas. They had to. Our programmers had to build them. And from the very beginning, the first thing that I wanted to put up is a black page. Um, and we did. We actually put up just a black background. It said bribe on it. And then it had a subscribe button um, just out there. We all shared it on our social networks. And people were asking, what is bribe? But it's remarkable how many registrations I got from just that. And that was a huge motivation for our dev team because now they actually saw the restriction connected to me. I had three developers that I had to persuade to work faster. Then the team has grown. And I have experienced exactly what you said. We spent a month figuring out the color of the logo and the, and the type. And I will remember that meeting forever because I was listening to this conversation. I was a part of that conversation. And then, you know, like in the movies, everything just goes kind of quiet and you get that tunnel vision or that bright light or whatever. It dawned on me. I basically said, guys, we're releasing in three months. And they looked at me like I was completely nuts. And for me, it was important to release maybe not an MVP, but some version of our product that will you know, light up the fire under our behinds and make sure that, okay, now we're getting visitors. Now we're getting reviews. Now we're getting questions. Now let's start actually doing something. We were self-funded in the beginning. So every penny counted. And just by figuring out the burn rate of the project, I uh, knew that this is not going to last long if we're just going to be deciding on every single little detail. So right. we released... It crashed. It was it was a tough couple of weeks, but then it started working. And then I remember when we got the first registration, and then we got a support email saying, "Guys, why am I here by myself? I still have that email." Uh -huh. And that was, you know, an immediate note to yourself: don't let visitors to see everything that's happening on the website that's not finished. So stuff like that basically brings me to something that I share with, with people if I get asked uh, by other startups or by somebody in the same boat as me, how we're moving along, build something that you want, but the biggest problem of any startup is their product. Because we focus yeah. on the product, we sit on it, we look at it, and we see nothing else. And to us, it's either the best thing on this planet or we just simply don't realize very, very simple things. Give it to the users. Give it to the users as soon as you can. Don't, don't go the Apple route. And granted, you know, they have stuff figured out. But every time the new iOS comes out, the first thing that comes out on any forum is like wait for a couple of months till they figure all the bugs. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I thought of something here. And this, and there's, this is actually legendary if you're familiar uh, for anybody in our audience who may be familiar with Philadelphia, I used to live in Pittsburgh and I would drive to and from the Philadelphia area because I had clients in Exton and Westchester and I and my best friend 
lives in central New Jersey. So I'd go out to visit mm-hmm. him and back. So I crossed that bridge many times. There are a lot of billboards in Philadelphia that say, I hate Steven Singer. And it's just white text on a black background with the domain www.ihatestevensinger.com. So who the hell is so who the hell is Steven Singer? He owns a jewelry shop, actually on Philadelphia's Jewelry Row, Jewelers Row, which is a very prestigious area. Here's here's where the story came from. I looked into this. A man went to Steven Singer's jewelry shop for their 20th wedding anniversary and bought his wife a ring for their anniversary. Well, apparently his wife was so enamored by the gift. And remember, I just said 20th wedding anniversary. They ended up having another kid. So the husband (laughs) came back and told Singer about the new kid and blamed his late night diaper changes on Singer and said, I hate you, Steven Singer. So the light bulbs went off and this in these billboards that just say, I hate Steven Singer became, I mean, they've done, they've done write-ups about this in, in lifestyle magazines and business journals. It's, it's pretty well known if you know what you're, if you know what you're looking for, but think about all the jewelry stores out there that market uh, where they source their diamonds. Uh, they create these images of, uh, of uh, I proposed to her and she said yes and, and timeless memories. And this guy just says, I hate Steven Singer. Well, there are a lot of jewelers on Philadelphia's Jewelers Row right now. I mean, they call it Jewelers Row, not because there's a bunch of ice cream shops there. Who are we talking about? Steven. Yeah. So uh, when you... And, and I was reminded of this when you were telling the story. I hadn't even thought about this for a couple of years. And while you were speaking, I went on the internet and I found the, what I just described to you. Yeah. And uh, just when you told me that you put up a simple page with the bribe logo on it, with a button that said subscribe, people thought, well, what is bribe? It's not going to cost me anything to just subscribe and see what it is. If I don't like it, I'll unsubscribe. But let me see what this is. Wow. That website probably did not take a lot of work to put up. I did it on Wix in like 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I'm a WordPress guy, and I could have that up in about 10 minutes as well. I know just about enough about Photoshop to be dangerous, and I have have the background on how to uh, match colors and fonts, so I could whip something up in about 10 minutes. Uh, pull out, you know, put up a WordPress page, uh, put up a simple theme, and uh, and use a splash page to put up bribe and a button that says subscribe under it. Hook it to my active campaign uh, account. I mean, uh, you and I have about 30 minutes left here. If I decided to start something like that right now, I could be sharing it on social media by the time we were done. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's the lesson to our that's listen to our audience and why I wanted to share that. I told you we do a lot of storytelling and masterminding here on Business Creators Radio. So think about that if you're stuck. What's something you could get out there today that could raise curiosity and get people asking, if nothing else, what the hell is this? Just mm-hmm. enough so they'll check it out. Absolutely. So this so to me, this goes to influence, influencing and influencer marketing. I speak a lot about this through my podcast reach system and how we define what an influencer really is. Is influencer marketing really all it's hyped up to be? Yes and no. Um, and here's why I say that. Obviously, I'm in a space, but and people raise their brows when I say that. But 
I had to explain what I do to my mother and to my daughter. Yeah. My daughter is 11. Uh-huh. My mother is 72. So I went into this whole spiel, influencers, online marketplace. My mom lost me at the influencers. Uh-huh. And then she basically said, so you try to find jobs for people. I'm like, yes, but, and I had to cut myself short. I basically had to come up with some kind of idea to explain. And what came out is like, mom, I created a place where people that want to buy services from other people can come. And those who sell those services can show their services like in a gallery. And then the guy points their finger at the painting and buys it. So Uh That was sort of, uh, my mom said, oh, that's cool. And my daughter, I said, well, imagine that, uh, and I use the top influencers' names, imagine that I know them and you want to know them and you want them to sing happy birthday for you on your page. And my daughter was like, oh, okay. So I find them on the platform, I click, I ask them, and if they are okay to do it for 10 bucks, I order it and then I will pay when they do it. I was ready to bow to my child because, you know, it took us a couple of years to come up with a concept, but um, influencer marketing is still a pretty evasive concept. I think about 60%, if not 70 of regular world's population have no idea what influencer marketing is. If you explain it to them, ah, they'll go back to opinion leaders. They'll go back to, you know, Michael Jordan and Nike, et cetera, et cetera. Uh The concept is old, very old. Um, But the way it is right now, like I mentioned earlier, I think the way it was hyped up, I think it's done. Um, And maybe this is a weird parallel to build, but it's something that happened to cannabis. Cannabis was, you know, forbidden fruit for so many years. Yeah. And then it came, it became legal. And then it was a, you know, a big boom, a big spike. Now you're not going to surprise anybody with a little green cross dispensary down the street. And the concept of influencer marketing, the way it blew up, is basically making money out of the air and people loved it. Large companies jumped on it. You can always see, you know, a beautiful girl with some energy drink on a picture and think that she's making millions. But the way it is right now, uh, like I said, large players are jumping in. Instagram is offering a lot of creator tools tracking tools, um, financing tools, companies like Lumano, John Tran is a, a personal acquaintance of mine. They're breaking the market with financial solutions. So this concept is now growing that snowball of peripheral services and providers and everything else around it. So it's no longer something unknown and cool and that makes somebody else make money, but now, it is becoming a household name. And if there's one thing good that came out of COVID pandemic is the fact that the world went remote, the consumption went remote and the creation went remote. Yeah. So the concepts we're dealing with right now, as much ephemeral as they have may have been in the past, now people see and understand them and they even use them without knowing. They go to Angie's List to get a plumber. They read your, their favorite blogger to find a book recommendation. Adam, they listen to you 
to understand business concepts or finally understand what spring is, you know? Yeah. By the way, by the way, love your formula. Really cool stuff. Oh yeah, the spring formula. Um, and then on the podcasting yes. side, we have the reach formula. So yeah, I love acronyms. Absolutely. So is it all that it's hyped up to be? No, now it's becoming a huge well-oiled machine where everybody needs to know their place, their function. And like I said, um, the FTC is getting into it right now. So the moment government steps in, in a way, this legitimizes the industry. So I think what it's becoming, yeah, exactly. What it's becoming right now is becoming something legit and cool. And now you need to really understand how it works if you want to make it in it. Whether you're a provider creator or you're a buyer or you're somebody like us who's trying to facilitate the meat. Yeah. Three quick, uh, three quick thoughts here. Uh, and these are somewhat random. And then I'm going to, I want to put a bookmark in this as we transition to our next topic. So here's my, here's my first, my, uh, my client and friend, Dan Janelle, author of write your book in a flash says that one of the best reasons for an entrepreneur to write and publish a book is so that your mom will finally know what you do for a living. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, you give her an autographed copy and she reads it and she'll finally get it. And I can tell you that when I gave my parents a copy of the Groundhog book, they finally understood. See, for years, they, they understood that I had something to do with working on the internet. I tried to explain to them, but it didn't take long for them to get to the joke of trying to get me to admit that I ran porn sites. So I would so I would tell people early on when I first jumped into entrepreneurship and I moved from solopreneurship to leverage and got virtual assistants and all that. One of my virtual assistants was an active porn star who uh, did virtual assistants work as her day job. I'm not going to say what her name is. Uh, she's actually very well known in that industry. And if you like adult entertainment, there's a good chance you've seen her. But I'm not going to say who she is. So I would say I'll just mention that uh, that. Uh, yeah, I didn't work in porn, but I worked with porn. So ha, 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 joke's on you. Uh, second, the second item is that you, know, you bring up, and this is what I want to transition into, actually, is that, and I cover this in my book. I, I, yeah, it's my show. I can mention my book as much as I want. I, uh, I, I, I mentioned that every cloud has, has a silver lining, and to remember that silver is a precious metal that people mine and invest in. So the value of the cloud is in the lining. It's like that phrase, never let, it, never let a good crisis go to waste. I love that. And one of the things that I agree with in terms of the silver lining behind this, this freaking pandemic or whatever the hell it is, is that uh, we, we still don't know. But uh, in my opinion, uh, I shouldn't go there. But uh, yeah, that uh, it, to me, it busted forever. And I hope it stays busted forever. This notion that creatives can only consider be considered to be actually working when they're in a cubicle, sitting upright, uh, answering their emails in five minutes, and also picking up the phone on the second ring or otherwise having their voicemail to say, hi, I'm on the phone or away from my desk. I go off on my book making fun of that phrase. So I love how it's busted the cube farms and i hope they stay busted forever because i believe they're one of the worst things that ever freaking happened to humanity now i understand that in industrial situations in certain service situations that require physical presence you're going to have to have shifts working you have to have people show up somewhere but a lot of folks were constrained 
by industrial revolution type concepts and force into situations. I mean, my work, what I love, they, they tell the joke about entrepreneurs is we only work half days. We just get to choose which 12 hours. And I think there's kind of a, um, I think there's kind of a factual fact to that because my creativity happens when it happens. When I have a big project to do, that's going to require me to go into an all, it's like a trance-like level of function. And I'm going to be on it for about 10 hours. I might not start my day until about two o'clock in the afternoon, give or take, and then just do it for 12 hours and then take off the next day to recover from it because that's my zone. That's my Zen. That's my place. That's how I do it. So in your, so what I want to bring up to you is because your business is involved in this. This is a question a lot of people have been asking is what are your pointers for managing remote workforces? A, don't be afraid of it. Okay. It's actually your friend. Um, one of the biggest things that we have experienced with my team and actually 60% of my team is not only remote, it's on the other side of the world, um, is it's based on a large amount of trust. And it's also based on a certain amount of um, expectations. So you got as a business owner or as a startup owner, founder, you have to curb your expectations a little bit. You're the one who carries the vision. You're the one who carries the idea. And you're the one who is responsible to be the bureaucrat, to be the HR guy, to be the benefits guy, and to get it in the heads of the people on your team what the vision is, what motivates you, and actually motivate them as well. And we're actually... Um, I love learning new stuff. I love listening to um, many different speakers around the world when I have time. And one of the things that I've picked up is when you're starting a business and you're hiring somebody, unless you're Aristotle or Nessus and you can hire you know, everybody who's better than you, you have to lower your expectations. You cannot expect 100% productivity. You have to be okay with 70% or 80% productivity. So that will keep you sane. That's one. Um, two, when you do have people working on remote, is it's incredibly important to keep your data safe and integral. This is very important. This is one thing that means the most. When people work on remote, there are accesses to websites, there are backups, um, there are different platforms. There are different methods that you can use for even for free. They're open source. But to keep your work safe, and if anybody is working in a different time zone and something gets screwed up, you can always have a backup. But most importantly, just like you said, Adam, um, you cannot expect people to clock in at 9 a.m. or at 8 a.m. to take a break, clock out, clock in again, and then clock out in the end of the night, at the end of the day. When you, people work on remote, the schedule is very, very different. Um, one of my guys on my team actually came from an accounting firm that sent them remote second day of COVID. They had key loggers and the mouse movement loggers. So if the mouse stopped moving and a keyboard stopped moving for two minutes, you got a call or you got a text or you got some kind of a warning email message or a push notification from the company saying, hey, what's going on? And they worked on almost like a military schedule. Um, Maybe for some companies like in accounting world that works, but 
in my world, it doesn't. I deal with creative personalities. I deal with people that live 10 years ahead. They live in the cloud. They live on a different planet in their head. So yeah. I have to accommodate for that. I have to accommodate for the designer sleeping in till 11, but then working till five in the morning. I have to accommodate for a developer who is absolutely brilliant, but also has three kids and a dog. So these are all the outside factors that you need to take into consideration, which are completely opposed to the, what you call cube farms where, you know, everybody's there and we all remember the good old movie, um, the office when uh -huh. he comes in and starts talking to you in your cube and every minute lasts forever. So no, I think remote world is increasing productivity is actually increasing the speed. It may increase turnover because People may realize that now they can work on multiple gigs. Now they're not tied up to somebody. Now that they may have less benefits because now they're working as a freelancer or it's a startup. So you can really promise much. And they start picking up another project. So that you also need to take into consideration. So ultimately, look at yourself in the mirror and as, as weird as it may sound, I do it all the time. Ask yourself, why are we doing this? And I hope the materialistic pleasures of life are never the answer. Right. Because if that is the case, you're going to lose your team and you're probably going to lose your way. Yeah. But if you're there, maybe to make a world a better place. You know, this may sound weird, but a lot of people do that. Maybe you're improving something. Maybe you want to create your own legacy. And your team can be, you know, a part of that legendary ship that sailed through the industry and, you know, became a legend. So you have to give your team a story. You have to give them something to feel and be a part of. And you are the only one responsible for that. Yeah. I have a thought. I have a thought here of. Uh a lot of our listeners, and perhaps you, have you heard of Dan Scott? He's the he's based out of Seattle, and he has a merchant processing company. He's that guy who famously reduced his own salary to $70,000 a year and then raised the base salary of everybody in his company to $70,000 a year. Have you heard of that guy? I, I remember the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I hear carping about him. It's like, oh, well, he's about redistribution redistrib of wealth. He's a socialist. He's a communist. No, actually, he's a capitalist. I read Very his book. So. I read his book. I dug into his Twitter feed. I looked at his case studies. Uh, here's, where, here's where he was going with that. Now, his base salary is $70,000 a year, but he owns the place, so he gets dividends and distributions, and plus with his notoriety, he has other forms of income that he makes money off being an influencer. The guy is making a million dollars a year. Let's just say that and and acknowledge it because I think everybody around him does that as well. Uh, but he set the example that as a CEO, he didn't necessarily need to pull a salary that was 24 times that of the median or mean salary of his organization. It just wasn't necessary. Second item is that by giving people that level of financial security, it means a few things. When there's extra work to meet, need to be done, they're going to volunteer. When they 
think that there may be grass greener on the other side of the fence, they're going to look around and see that's not the case. When they are working, they're not going to be worried about paying their bills, which means they can go all in. And because that's a really good place and a sustainable place to work, his, his turnover is like nothing. I mean, how, how many times have we heard companies bitching about turnover and the cost of turnover and everything else? And as I say in my book, turnover is a bitch on your bank accounts. Well, that doesn't exist when people stay. And the best part is, is when the pandemic hits, his employees lined up asking him to reduce their salaries. And not only did he do that, but then he paid them back in arrears after the worst of the pandemic ended. And he grew his company. He grew his revenues to very big numbers. And he made one other point I want to mention is, you know, when it comes to this whole nine to five thing, I saw this in a tweet that, he, that I thought was very interesting. He said, hey, man, look, if it's Monday morning and you need like an extra hour to sit at the coffee shop and get yourself together before you start your week, whatever, as long as your work is done. So I like, I like that. And he also, uh, when it got to the point where, they were able to start coming back to the office again after the restrictions ended. He took a poll of his employees. I don't have the exact numbers, but I think the majority of them wanted to continue working remotely. Then a sizable minority wanted to do a hybrid where sometimes they came to the office and sometimes they work from home. And then there was something like uh, 7% that wanted to be back in the office full time. And his response to them is cool. We'll do whatever you want. As long as your work gets done. Yep. So my point, my, my point is, is when bringing that up, is when you are willing to look past paradigms and looking at remote work requires setting aside paradigms of what accountability really means and what protection really means and what making sure people do their jobs really means, that you can actually get so much more out of your workforce and succeed in dealing with those cost metrics that flattens so many companies. So again, um, I don't think Dan Scott is a communist or anything like that. I actually think he's a capitalist that ha who has a lot of great ideas. I mean, at, at the bottom line, his company is about making money. So that's that's not socialism. I'm sorry. If, if, and if you uh, disagree with me on that, then have your disagreements for anybody who's listening. So hmm. coming back to the remote work, I've also seen studies that show that if you have somebody working in an office for eight hours a day, the average amount of time that they spend on things actually productive that adds to the company's bottom line each day is two hours and 53 minutes. The rest of it is dealing with being bored, uh, waiting for you to get an assignment, waiting for somebody to get back to you on something, meetings, water cooler, lunch. So take that same person, have them work remotely. And they may only spend five hours a day working for you while they deal with their child care, homeschooling their kids, taking their kids to soccer, soccer practice, starting at 10 instead of eight. And the best part, not losing thousands of dollars a year, because that costs thousands of dollars a year just to commute. Now, if you're getting five hours of productivity out of that person working from home, and, it, and you could even have them on call for the whole way, it could be, you don't have to sit by your desk but keep your cell phone, phone on you. And if it rings between nine and five, you answer. And you're comparing five hours to two hours and 54 minutes. What have we done? We've just increased productivity by what, 60%?
Absolutely. Shit, um, I'll I, take it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And, yeah. You know, the coolest thing is that the boss, the founder, the you has to realize that you're in the same boat. Yeah. You get distracted every minute in the office by a question, by a signature, by a phone call, by something oh, yeah. breaking, et cetera, et cetera. When you are on a different schedule and you have enough discipline, which you must have, your productivity skyrockets. Like I'm actually going through an educational course right now. Don't ask me how I have time. I have no idea. <laughs> but um, it's, it's incredible. It's really cool. Uh, Steve Kotler and his uh, Flow Collective, they figured out exactly, well, they claim to have figured out exactly what you just mentioned is that moment or that zone that we get into like athletes or business people or any kind of person that does anything you get into that zone where everything else disappears and you just get stuff done and the most incredible results and most incredible time so by diluting you know that cocktail slightly and calling it working remotely i believe there is a huge opportunity for people's productivity rising when they work in a comfortable environment whether it's their home or wherever they prefer to work from. But you do need systems in place. You still do. Like, I, I like systems. I like to ask the question and receive an answer. So some kind of a reporting, some kind of an updates, uh, regular meetings. Again, you're shifting the paradigm and you got to shift with it. You need to be creative. And when you eliminate, you know, it's not out of sight, out of mind. You eliminate seeing and, and contacting directly your employees, but then you have to create the ways of doing that, of virtually touching them, of virtually uh-huh. getting the information that you need on a, you know, on a moment's notice. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's ways absolutely. to do that without making them sit in front of a webcam or oh, yeah. randomly, no, messaging, totally. randomly messaging them and looking at the stopwatch <laughs> and seeing how long it takes them to answer. So, and this is the work I do with one of my clients. It has an asynchronous virtual team, asynchronous in time zones, asynchronous mm-hmm. in work styles, asynchronous season, brilliance and passion. So uh, we actually reduced meetings by 90%, reduced emails by 80%, simply by using a project management system that allows for dependencies and task assignments and mm-hmm. having one weekly meeting that's a free for all and and the other piece of that meeting is everybody who uh is a speaker at that meeting and it's done on zoom has to within 24 hours before the start of the meeting submit three things what they're working on what questions they have and what innovations they want to discuss so that we don't we're not sitting there listening to people talking about what they've done we're speaking about what people need and what people want to do Love it. Yeah. And if we're talking about startups, which we are, mm-hmm. um, I think the, the concepts are just a little bit different. Uh-huh. Uh, the startup may not have enough finances to have, you know, the same salary for everyone. Uh, in yep. most cases, founders don't even take the salary. But you sort of uh, take on Google's approach from back in the day. I think they still run it the same way. But mm-hmm. uh, Google used to be a linear structure. So everybody who works in the company is on the same level. Yeah. So in a startup, when you have, you know, those two, three, four, five, under 10 people that are, that decided to drop everything, put all their eggs literally in this basket and run in with it. Because if you have a plan B, then you're not a startup. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we're almost then, out of time. Yeah, finish this thought sorry. and then yeah, finish yeah. this thought quickly. And then we have just a few minutes left. I have one more question I want to ask because I do want to touch on the funding here. Go ahead. Uh, the only thing I wanted to say, you keep everybody on the same level. You go on the same meeting and you treat them not as employees, but you treat them as your team. Yeah, great. So uh, we did talk, mention we we're going to talk a little bit about raising capital. Um, I'm going to refer our listeners right now to do two things. Number one, uh, reach out to Igor and, we'll, and I'll have him tell you how in just a moment. Uh, and also look at some other episodes on Business Creators Radio Show where we speak with people who actually facilitate that funding for raising capital. But there's one very mm -hmm. important thing that you bring to us, Igor, that I want to ask you, and I've been on the edge of my seat for this question. Are you ready? What's one sure. thing? What's one thing that will make an investor write a check to you? And I'm asking the question that way for our listeners because I want them to get laser focused right now on what they need to be doing to get that signature on the line that is dotted and that money ACH to them so they can really start getting things going. That one thing is you. It's not okay. your idea. It's not your structure. It's you. Uh, we, our investor, actually, the one that we raised with the initial round for bribe, they have nothing to do with online tech. They have nothing to do with the influencer space or freelancer space. They, honestly, they bought into us and the enthusiasm of the team. Uh -huh. They interviewed us. The original meetings, the initial meetings were based on basically shit talk about each other. <laughs> and small talk and bitching about the weather and the sports. And we were surprised bejesus out of me because it was like when do i show the deck when when can i tell you how much i'm gonna make you they just wanted to see what type of people we are and now hindsight 2020 um i think half of our behavior should not have been exhibited but maybe it was responsible for us getting the round because the idea just like you said this idea is not new um you can invest your money into Fiverr, who is an IPO, and make a decent amount of return. But they chose right. to invest into us because they saw a completely nuts marketer, an incredibly aggressively fun developer, um, another marketer and then financier. And this team was building something and trying to change something that's already there. And I think the enthusiasm Obviously, our story, obviously, our past and our experience had a lot to do with it. If you're, if you're starting from ground zero, honestly, try to get your project going as much as you can with your, with your own funds or with the help of your family, help of your warmer market. Create something not only to show, but create something in you that will show that you have done the dirty work. And then yeah. present it to someone who can be your either angel or, you know, later institutional investor. Because whether they write a check for $10,000 or they write a check for $1.5 they look for the same thing. They are investing their money, risking their money mm -hmm. into a new project, but they hedge it with allegedly this ingenious startup founder that will make it happen. Let me just give a one sentence reaction to that. 
they can have their accountants and analysts look at your slide deck, your financials, your balance sheets, your business plan, and give them a memo that says, is this financially sound? But if I were looking to invest, the bottom line is, is I want to see your brilliance and your passion and be left with a belief that you're going to roll up your sleeves and bust your ass and get this done. Absolutely. And I can only see that in your personality. I cannot see that in your data. Yep. So we're at the top of the hour here. I wanted to very quickly, uh, first of all, thank you, Igor Fedenkov, for being with us today. It's been amazing. It's been so much fun. And uh, very you, briefly, Adam. just here at the very end, I want to give you the platform for just one minute and just tell us, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit more about how people can contact you and how you support them. Um, if you're interested in the project, obviously check it out at bribe.com. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. This is the easiest way. Igor yep. Fedenkov, the spelling is in the podcast. Um, if you want to write me directly, write to me directly. It's Igor at bribe.com. I will try to respond within probably 48 hours. Don't take it personally if I don't respond right away. Yep. But I'm definitely open. Um, and I'll try to address any question that may come in. Uh, please mention that it comes from Adam's podcast so that I have context. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for everybody listening, uh, once again, Igor, thank you for so much for being with us. It's been, a, it's been an honor and believe me, an education. And for everybody else, thank you very much. And for everybody else, have yourselves a fantastic afternoon. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.